I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you Scott O'Neill is the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, which oversees the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, and the Prudential Center. Scott is one of the most recognized, connected, and dynamic executives in the sports and entertainment industry today. He has more than 25 years of experience leading NBA, NHL, and NFL teams and leagues, including the National Basketball Association, Philadelphia 76ers, New York Knicks, New Jersey Nets, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Rangers, and New Jersey Devils. His mission to build innovative, inspiring, socially impactful, and high-performing teams and business organizations has earned him a reputation as a leader of leaders. Get ready to learn more about leadership, learning from your successes and failures, and about Scott's new book, Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. Anyone looking for a new job this year, or are you a company who's looking to hire great talent? If so, you might want to check out the job hiring platform, Culture Finders. I'm sure you're thinking, what's different about Culture Finders compared to the other job hiring platforms? Well, Other platforms only focus on your job skills and trying to match you with as many companies as possible. What Culture Finders does different is that they uncover the preferences, personalities, unique talents, and abilities that make up each job seeker and matches them with the company that these traits best align. It's not about sending 100 jobs, but about connecting you with the right job. We know your value to companies goes beyond your resume, and it's time you find a company that sees yours. Job seekers create your free profile today at culturefinders.com. And if you're a company hiring, you get a free job posting today. That's culturefinders.com. Oh yeah, just so you guys know, Culture Finders and What Got You There is actually hiring right now. So jump on culturefinders.com to create your free profile and hopefully we'll be working together soon. Scott, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Sean, it's great to be here. One thing is for sure, and that is you have the best open of any podcast in the history of time that song has been ringing in my head it's very difficult to shake out yeah it's, it's a catchy tune will uh will definitely last in the head so, so i appreciate that but there is so much i want to dive into with you you know how much i've admired from you learned from you and your book you have a line in it that i just love and it's find your peace find your quiet time find yourself we have to plan it schedule it have the discipline to stick to it but it is a choice, our choice. So with that being said, I would love to know how you plan your time each day. What does that time allocation look like? Oh, I love it. Well, first I want to say thank you for having me. Secondly, I want to say that this, uh, you know, it's coming at an interesting time to talk. Um, It looks like we're coming out of this pandemic. It looks like vaccinations are taking off. Um, And I've learned so much from this time. Um, and, And we've all had to allocate our time differently. And audit our time differently and, you know, be actually very intentional about what we do and how we do it. And, and for me, the, the one thing I start my day with is just try to figure out, I need to do something for my body, something for my mind and something for my soul every day. And they take different shapes and different forms, but generally for my body, I am one of those Peloton lunatics that you read about. So I do, I get 45 minutes, I sweat head to toe. I'm, I'm a total animal, I think. So, so generally for my body, I'm on the Peloton. If, when the world opens up, 
I'll be playing pickup hoop with my, with my crew at work. And we got a 6am run. It's killer. I get my legs can't work. I cannot guard a stop sign anymore, but the mouth keeps going like I'm 25. So from a, from a body sense, I, I feel like everybody's got to do something to get that heart rate up. I know you're a big time, uh, lax player. And I, I know, I'm sure you, you take care of your body extremely well, but, but for the rest of us, um, we've got to commit and it doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It doesn't have to be two hours, but it does have to be 20 minutes to get that body flowing. Um, in terms of the mind, I think that we're so focused on what we do um, from a work work wise, and we're so stretched in terms of the world we're in. And I think sometimes we forget to go out and learn. And, and for me, um, I think everybody needs to be learning something outside of their core life. Um, and, and for me right now, I'm really interested in blockchain. I'm really interested in crypto. I'm really interested in NFTs. So I am like studying and learning and I'm reading research reports and analyst reports. And I'm, I'm watching Ted talks and I'm listening to podcasts just because I'm interested in a topic. And is that the end all be all for everybody? No, this will be a a little phase for me. I'll go on and I'll learn something else. I always have three or four books on my, on my bedside. I'm, I'm reading different books at different times. Some are wonderful. Some are not so wonderful, but man, am I open to, I'm trying to be intellectually curious and learn. And I think it's good for the soul. And the third thing, which nobody ever wants to talk about is like taking care of your soul. And for some of you, if you're like deeply religious, you're going to read scriptures or you're going to pray. And it doesn't have to be that. But others might say, well, I meditate. And some people, when I was younger, I had a lot of trouble meditating. I, I can't sit still for five minutes now. Um, but you do have to find some quiet and some stillness. And that could literally be yoga. It could be going for a walk. It could be sitting outside in the morning and listening to the birds chirp in this beautiful spring day. But I, I have this sense that finding that stillness and quiet is just good for the soul. And I think if you take care of those different pieces of your mind, body, and soul, um, it, it will help you be more effective for sure, but it'll also help your mental health. And, and I think that is the, the next great difficulty this society is going to have to tackle. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement. Tackling those three big buckets, getting those aligned, when those are all operating effectively, your energy, what you're putting out in the world is so much better. I I love hearing about that voracious love of learning and that cross-disciplinary approach of reading outside your your main expertise or your day job. Do you feel like that outside perspective and even just staying attuned to other things going on, that helps you with your day job? Well, I will tell you, I, I, yes, um, I learned, I worked for David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA, and um, I traveled with him quite a bit through my seven and a half years there. I can tell you, we'd get on a plane and he always traveled private and I was fortunate enough to jump on everyone every now and again. It was interesting to me at the time was like we would get on and he would have a stack of papers, eight, nine, 10 inches thick, ripped out magazine articles, newspaper articles. He was an old school guy. Uh, older guys, sadly, um, since passed away, God rest his soul. Um, but he he learned, and he wasn't reading about sports or basketball. He always knew, um, and he read business for sure. But what was fascinating to me was he was reading geopolitical. He was reading life sciences. I, I I had this story in my head where he he was he he was very difficult. He was Socratic method. He would pressure test you. He would be grilling you every time. It was like. It was like stress it was four hours of stress on every trip and he was saying to me now this is uh boy probably like uh early 2000s he's like you probably don't even know what wifi is now he was saying wi-fi but it was so early 
early in, like nobody had ever heard of Wi-Fi. Okay. He's like, you probably don't even know what with is. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, <laughs> but this is a guy who was studying about HIV and the AIDS virus so much so and bringing in world experts and knowing who the leading doctors were that when Magic Johnson um, contracts HIV, he doesn't shut the league down. He doesn't throw magic out. He actually works and leverages that to be a, a global platform to kind of redefine how the world will deal with HIV. And, and, you know, he has, I mean, he put an office in China in the eighties and, you know, the other leagues are still kind of fighting to try to catch up. And some don't even have leagues, there, uh, offices there now. Like this was a guy who just learned and learned and learned. And, and, and that sense of, I always think that there, you know, at least from, from my perspective in my business, maybe all, I think there are three things that make people uh, successful coming into the business. And one is just, you have to work unreasonably hard. And I, I don't, I don't care what business you're in. I've never found a successful person who doesn't work unreasonably hard. And the second thing is you have to be an extraordinary teammate. And that has to do with all the connectedness in the world. Um, and so like we inevitably will know a hundred people that know each other. And when we get to, to a workplace and we're young and we're just trying to figure it out and we're trying to climb to get ahead, like the analogy is all wrong. You're not climbing. You got to connect because you wake up 20 years later. I'm 51 years old. So I wake up now and people that I worked with all over the world, we were assistants, we were account executives, we were managers, we were directors, and now they're running the greatest, greatest businesses and they're my friends. And so think of how easy life is. And then the third piece is intellectual curiosity. So it's working reasonably hard, be an extraordinary teammate, and have that intellectual curiosity. Yeah, I, I love the point you bring up about the the organizations, the world. Every this is this is a matrix, and we're not climbing this hierarchy, this ladder. How connected it is, and and it was fun reliving some of the stories from previously in your career and how they tie together now, um, years and years later. So people early in their career, I, I love when they put a focus on that. I would love to know, because you've got so much time and attention and focus towards operating at your best. What does it feel like when Scott O'Neill's operating at his best? Oh, man, that's a really interesting question. I would say that I am, when you get, as you go through your career, you're trying to figure out what drives you every day, right? So what, what pops you out of bed in the morning, gets your feet on the ground and you're jumping off to work. I would say when I am at my best, I am fully grounded. I am connected to the executives, in particular, the young executives that I'm helping develop because that pops me out of bed in the morning. It's like, how can I help develop the next generation of great talent in this industry? And I am doing something to serve somebody else. So whether that is in the community, whether that is doing something for someone in my family, or whether that is uh, connecting with someone at work to help lift them or guide them. I'm, I'm thinking about that that talent development. And I know within your organization, I think it's something like 80% is under the age of 27, 28, something like that. So they're young. I'm wondering, what have you found most effective these days to be able to connect with someone that could be half your age? Sure. Well, I, I think I'm I'm 25 at heart. I was going to say, I'm not, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've... I've been really blessed. I, I love, um, I love this generation. I do. I love, I love the Gen Zers. Um, I really do. Um, I love Gen Y. I love, I love this next millennials. I love the next, the, all these younger generations coming through. 
I think that they're smart, they're driven, they're talented, they're connected, they understand themselves and their brands. Um, and, and there's an exchange for that. And so for that, they, they will work to their, to their bones, okay? But the exchange is they want access and they want recognition and they want opportunity. And so as a CEO of a company, you've got to figure out because they're doing the work, they are going to change the world. These, these next generations coming up through the pipeline, boy, oh boy, brace yourselves. We are going to have a run. And it is so exciting and invigorating, but they want to know what the heck is happening. And so as a leader, I've got to be more transparent. I, mean, I had two uh, roundtables today. And so there, our roundtables are just connect. And I literally start the roundtable by saying, and now they're all Zooms, so it's 12 people. And I start and I said, I give a little preamble. Here's what's happening in the world. Here's what's happening with our business. And I, that takes about 30 seconds. And I say, let's talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What do you want to talk about? And they'll ask me about NFTs because we're working on a big project. Now. They'll ask me about real estate development. They'll ask me about our sports teams. They'll ask me about what does it take to be promoted? They'll talk to, ask me about, I heard about this, what's happening. They'll talk about our return to work program. And it's, it's my favorite hour. I do about once every other day. And it gives me a chance to connect and pressure test um, the team for sure. But it also gives them access to ask the CEO anything they want to ask. How important and how much thought goes into that openness within the organization? You know, I, um, I think I'm a millennial at heart, not by age. And so I wanted access when I was young. And I had this leader growing up. His name is John Spolstra. He was the president of the Nets. His son, Eric, is the head coach of the Miami Heat, one of our hated rivals, but nonetheless, a heck of a basketball coach and a wonderful guy. I've known him since he was about my age. I've known him since he was playing basketball in college. And, um, and his dad did that for me. So as a 22-year-old, there were seven or eight of us that he would take out to dinner once a month. And I think about that. And I think about, man, I'm 22 years old, and I'm going to dinner with the president of the organization. Like, what message do you think that sent to me? And so, like, as a, as a CEO now, about John's age, John Spolster's age, when, when he was my boss, I think about every new sales class that comes in, I sit with them. Every class that comes in. And, you know, by the way, it's, it's fun for me. But, man, what an opportunity. I give them a book when they come in, and they have to read it and send me a note. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. I think it's the best book ever written. And they have to read, write me a note, and it says, here's how this might impact me at home. Here's how this might impact me at work. And then I respond back and then we have a dialogue. So now they walk in, they're like, okay, I'm connected. I am connected to the boss at 22. And what I tell them is like, I give them my success formula. I tell them it's like, they have to lead and that they're responsible for this culture. And so they're empowered to go now make this company great. And so there are some little things we do, but I will tell you, I have been so blessed and fortunate to work for such incredible people. I just named two of them with John and, and David Stern. But man, oh man, oh man, you have these lessons in life and they just keep coming. And so it's kind of incumbent upon us. I always say palms up, meaning, meaning this, as opposed to crossing your arms. Uh, you can't see me if you're on this podcast, but I will tell you, I promise you I'm crossing my arms. When I'm crossing my arms, I'm closed off. And my palms are up and my hands are out. I am open. I'm willing to listen. I'm engaged in learning and I'm interested in what you have to say versus trying to be interesting and dictate the conversation. Scott, one of the points I absolutely love, because uh, I know this has had a tremendous impact on my life, is when someone up in that organization 
they even just, just show they're paying attention. And I think leaders oftentimes forget about the, the impact. Those little moments, that could be the biggest moment in someone young in their career's first half of their career. When, when they see that the leader of that organization is putting attention to. So I just wanted to highlight that. I absolutely love that that element. I would love to know, with so much going on and so much nuance around the human side of this, what encapsulates the majority of your thinking with, with in terms of the organization and, and those those human elements, that dynamic? Well, I, I think, um, you know, I come from a family of leadership development consultants. So it's, it's, you know, I, since I was five years old, I was collating decks for my folks who would go out and consult with Xerox and ADP and McDonald's and Texco all over the world. It was a little mom and pop business, literally mom and pop business. Um, but they had these incredible clients. And so, and our, our home was, was very much a laboratory, you know, I think, um, as I, as I look forward, there were five of us born in, in six years and, um, and four of the five of us are running companies. And my sister, who's the smartest of, of us all, is just going back to school. So I'm sure she'll be running one shortly. So it, it's a definitely, and, and those are my best friends in the world. And those are um, the, the ones I reach out to when I'm looking for thoughts, when I need advice and counsel, or I need to get my head straight. And, and when I say I get my head straight, it means it's like, we have to understand the impact and influence we have and can have. And we have to feel some sort of gratitude for the platforms we've been given and certainly take advantage of those we have. And so for, uh, for me, um, culturally, I want to create the greatest place to work in the world. And if you ask me if I've done it yet, I would say, sadly, no, but I'm working on it. Um, and as a, as a leader of an organization, unfortunately, it's not up to you. You can, you can set the tone, you can set the vision, you can direct the resources, you can encourage, but there's a lot that goes into creating the greatest place to work in the world. And it's, it's, next, it's next man up, you know, or woman up in our case, a very diverse workforce. And so I, I would say that, um, that I try to spend about a third of my time on, on culture and everything related to it. I'm thinking about some, some of these lessons that, that you brought up just now and even in the book. And it seems like either you have a fantastic memory for all the years or you were documenting some of these big life lessons throughout the time. Is that something you were doing, actually documenting them? Or I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I, you know, um, ha, you know again, I, um, some of the, the gentlemen I work for um, have been so impactful and impressionable. And, and they, they, they're all in my life. You know, I, I don't, um, uh, Dr. Bill Sutton, who's a famous sports marketing professor, um, once said about me, my friend had told me he was, he was teaching a class and I got a text from my friend who was auditing class. And he said, uh, Scott O'Neill collects people like other people collect baseball cards. <laughs> so I, I, you know, from, from, uh, from my sense, I've, I've had these, these lessons, um, and they they keep coming back around because I keep having these incredibly influential people in my life. I, I will tell you another, um, sadly, as I'm getting older, um, people, my mentors have gotten older, but I remember being on this interview that my mother had set up because I was, I was, uh, bouncing in a bar when I got out of college instead of going to work like everybody else. Um, and uh, my mother's like, Hey, it's time, it's time, it's time. And I'm like, Hey, I'm playing hoop twice a day. The beach is fantastic. Like, leave me alone. And I, I went on this terrible interview. It's essentially my car broke down. I had to borrow my friend's suit. He, he, I'm, I'm a regular size guy. He's a big football player. So didn't look so good coming in. And, um, and this guy, Paul Bugley says to me, he's like, Hey kid, let me, you, you don't want this job. Do you? And 
And I was like, nah, I don't. And he said, look, look when you're ready to, to do this, like, come call me. Like, you seem like you got some stuff together. You seem like you have your, your you used a, a curse word, but it together. And I said, thank you. I, I appreciate that. He's like, he's got like anybody that would want to work here would have been at Nordstrom's first thing in the morning, bought a new suit, bought new shoes, bought a belt and come here and come here and put it together. You know? And what I wanted to say at the time was, you know, I hitchhiked 90 miles to get here, borrow clothes, borrowed a car. Like that's an effort, but he's like, that's not enough. And it was such a great lesson. It was terrible talking to my mother the next day, but nonetheless, after I got through that, you know, they kind of jolted me back. And so, and, and amazingly, I think most people in the world would have never thought another day about Paul Bugley. Um, but me, but me, like I got my first job. I sent him a note. The first, the note said, Paul, Scott O'Neill, you probably don't remember me, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you gave me this advice and I followed it. The next interview I had was with the New Jersey Nets for a marketing assistant. And here's what I did. And I got the job and I have you to thank. And I just want to say thank you. If you ever need anything from me ever, please call me. Here's my phone number. And I stayed in touch with him for 25 years. And I think about like, and I, this is not to pat myself on the back. It's just how my, it's my DNA. But I will say like life is easy now. You don't have to write letters. You can send a text or send an email or stay connected on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Like there's so many opportunities and avenues to stay connected to people who influence and impact you in your life. I think the, one of the missing ingredients is that it's the next step. It's like saying thank you. Scott, the reason I love that story so much is because it would have been so easy in that moment for you to blame him and say, you know what? No, no, no. I, I, I hitchhiked. I did all the work. This, this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. You could have been young. You could have been arrogant. And you didn't. You looked in the mirror. And, and that makes me think of a story you talk about with, with Jeff Robertson. And he had this bit of advice of you have to look in the mirror and stop blaming other people. I would love for you just to talk about Jeff Robertson and that story because I think that's just incredibly impactful. Sure. Thank you. I will say, um, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. Like I talk about life and success being when I was young, I thought it was so linear. And I would read these stories about these executives who were fired or bankrupt a company or had a misstep or mistake. And I'd be like, never me. I was going to the moon and straight to the moon. And it just doesn't work that way. And you have all these opportunities in life to learn and, and you learn a lot more when things go south. And so I was a young executive at the NBA, extremely confident. So if you think I'm confident, if, if I sound confident now, you should have seen me at 28. <laughs> and um, so I, um, I, I, I volunteered. I opted into the WNBA meetings. Uh, I went to my boss and I said, I want to sit in on the WNBA. And he said, Scott, that no, you do, you do not want to sit on the WNBA. I said, I do. I, I said, so I was working for this group called Teambo that consulted with other teams. And I said, well, I want to understand what's happening at the league so I can help the teams. So I sit in my first meeting and it's a bunch of incredible women led by Val Ackerman and me. And, um, and they're saying like, we want to, we want to market to teen girls. And I was like, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to say anything, you know? So I was almost sitting on my hands just saying, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just, just listen, just be a participant. And I said, well, you know, my friend, um, he manages in sync and he owes me a favor. So if you want to get to teen girls, like I'll just call them and like this thing's over, you know, it's the hottest band in the world. It's a boy band at the time. And, um, so we come up with this program I called my friend. He's like, yeah, I'm definitely. in. we'll send, 
uh, personalized videos. We'll launch an album there. We'll send autograph stuff. We'll do shout outs. We'll do a good radio promotion, blah, blah, blah. All this incredible, incredible. I mean, of all the programs I've ever been a part of creating, this was by far the best. And it crashed and burned. Okay. Like any measure, any KPI, anything that you would look for to say like this was a success would not have hit any grid. Okay. So this, this was, this was, there was a gap between what I thought was going to happen and what happened. And I blamed everybody. So it's the reverse of what you said. It wasn't what me Are you talking about. I delivered in sync. I delivered the hottest band in the world. I connected all these teams like me, you know? And um, so at that time I, I had gone to see uh, Jeff Robinson, who was the VP of HR at the NBA. And um, I went in, it was a six month check-in. He's like, how's it going? I'm like, it's terrible. Scott, what are you talking about? Terrible. I was like, it's awful. He said, what's awful? He's like, this place is awful. He said, the NBA is awful? Yes, my experience is terrible. And I, I rattled off all these problems and what was wrong and how to fix the onboarding and how to do this and how to do that. And I said, and here's a program that, that, that didn't work. And let me tell you why, why everybody else made a mistake and why I didn't. And he gives me a speech. He's like, you know, have you, have you checked yourself in the mirror? Look in the mirror. Me? What? He said, oh, well, Scott, here's the deal. Here's the way this place works. It's Matrix. I said, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? It's a Matrix. He said, well, you know, you have to know somebody in each box to be effective here. How well do you know the person in marketing? I don't know. Do you know Danny Mizells? I don't. He's a good friend now. No, I, I don't know. Greg Winnick? Nope. How about uh, Tom Corelli? Nope. Carol Albert? Nope. I said, who are those people? They run entertainment, marketing, digital, and media. So how could that program work if you don't even know who they are? And, um, and I said, well, what, what do you, I said, I, I'm on the road. That's what, where I add value. He said, what does that mean? I said, well, I'm working with the teams. I have 51 teams. I got 25 teams to hit. That means like I try to hit two or three teams a week. And he said, well, what if you spend a couple of days here? I'm like, in New York? I was like, no, 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 no. Jeff, I don't think you understand my job. Like, my job's out there. And he said, Scott, I don't think you understand what it's going to take to be effective here. And you have to decide if you're going to be right or effective. And by the way, I have used that and stolen that. I've used it a thousand times because you can be right, 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 right. You can pound the table. You can be the smartest person in the world. You can be the most driven in the world. But you've got to figure out how to be effective. And that is often so different from being right. And so I said, okay, what's it going to take? He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, what do I have to do? And he said, Scott, I don't even, you mean, how do you create relationships? I said, oh, right. So I, okay, so I should just go see my colleagues. He's like, yes, go see them when you don't need anything. Go offer to help them. It was so simple, like this simple little lesson, this little nugget is about, you know, I, I, you know, and so I did, I came off the road uh, two days a week and I would spend one day in the Secaucus office, by the way, at the time I didn't even know he had a Secaucus office and I would spend one day in New York and, and later, I mean, just to fast forward, you know, go fast forward three years later, my boss, Bernie Mullen, who's a wonderful guy, leaves to go run the Hawks and Thrashers and David Stern, the commissioner I met before calls and he's like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but. I'm going to offer you his job. And there's only one reason they offered me his job. 
because he asked all his deputies, all the top people in the different places, who's the guy over there? And they're like, ah, Scott, I'm the only person they knew. Because of Jeff Robinson saying, go connect the dots, go spend time with your colleagues, go see if you can be of help to them. And it's like that, that little, that little adage is something I've, I've carried forward to what some people call networking, which I don't, I don't love the term and I don't even love the, the anything around it, but I do love connecting with people. But my love of connecting with people is about how I can help them. It's not what I can get from them. It's just like a little nuance that help kind of redefine how I see the world and how I go through the world and how I connect the dots and organizations and how I walk through organizations. And, um, but yes, no, that was not, not the prettiest of times for me. No, that, that's an unbelievable story. Uh, and yeah, I'm glad you added context to that. Cause I, I just had no idea how a Justin Timberlake thing could have failed, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you let us there. But what I love so much, though, is the simplicity. And I think genius is usually in the simplicity there and, and the simple lessons. I'm wondering now, roles reverse, where you have people young, potentially arrogant in their career, not seeing some of these simple, elegant solutions. How do you teach them? Because sometimes the the, the mentor can say the simple lesson, but they're just not ready to see it yet. I'm, I'm wondering when you run into that scenario, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I... You know, I, we, we have two forums to have those discussions. So um, one is we take um, our top, our leaders and director. If you're managing anybody, you come to the, what we call a go forward um, because we don't retreat. So we have this go forward once a year and, and it's um, put on, the content is put on by internally. So it, it's, it's considered like a, a great honor to be asked to facilitate one of these sessions. And then we put, you know, th- these folks through a pretty intense um, three month training to get them ready to facilitate in front of 200 people. And oftentimes you'll have people in there that are, you know, afraid of public speaking or have anxiety or have never done something like this. And so we have to get over like the actual physical delivery. And then we actually um, leverage some content to get them to be um, experts in content. And then we teach them how to, how to build and how to, how to deliver that time uh, is invaluable because I get, we get the, the leaders of the organization get a lot of time with the, the up and coming stars in the organization, a lot. So we're meeting at least once a week. When we get closer, we'll meet three, four times a week. And so when you build that, that bridge and that bond, um, you get trust. And with trust comes the license to deliver feedback. And so that's one way. The second way is I have a, I lead a monthly leadership development session and I t- typically pick uh, an article or a podcast or um, a TED talk or uh, something I've heard. And we use that as the basis for discussion. Everybody's got to do it before. And then we walk in and I do a little description, you know, a little, Hey, here's what's going on. And then we pull from the group a little bit and then I break them up into groups and they have, and they're, they're broken out, you know, different levels. You could have a, a president of a team with a, a marketing manager and you have groups of eight or so. And we talk about real issues. So we, we have sessions to talk about trust and feedback and communication and um, what that is. So, so it gives us a forum to discuss and debate. This is not, my style is very, it's different. Um, it's not hierarchical or I don't think I'd have been a good general in the army. Uh, it's very much team-based. Uh, we manage, you know, so to speak, we, I would say like we run the organization for the top 5%. Versus the bottom 5%. So, so how might that show up, for example? So um, vacation policies. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never, I, my, some of my biggest frustrations in my world 
have been growing up and being like squeezed by finance, squeezed by legal, squeezed by HR. You know, as I've gotten older and higher in organization, I'm like, okay, now I understand the value of, of control functions. However, um, I just want to make sure that, that when we're setting up policies and procedures, that we're setting them up to create this greatest place to work in the world. And to do that, I think we have to set it up for the stars. I don't think, you know, for example, um, think about um, vacation policy. So how frustrating is it? I remember my first job, I got, I had um, no overtime, no benefits, no vacation. I remember going to my boss and saying like, hey, my family always goes to Longboat Key for Easter. Can I go? And him saying no. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Anyway, so um, so we don't have a, a, a paid time off house. Is you can take whatever you want. What's, what's interesting is, is like what you found is like our vacation actually dipped versus increased. Which like you wouldn't you would never think you think counter like wait a second you're telling me I can take all the time I want off but I take less which I don't subscribe to by the way I'm a, I'm a vacation taker I love I was just in Hawaii I love vacation I think it's like a great healthy thing to do and so I'm pushing my group typically my direct to take more vacation because I think you need time to clear your head and clear your space but the point is is that the policy is set for the best of the best because that's who I want to work here. Now, the reverse of that is you get two weeks, you need two sign-offs from your manager, one sign-off from his manager, and then the head of HR will sign off. We need to know uh, two weeks in advance where you're going. We need to know where you're going to, are you going to be accessible? And if not, and how, like, I don't know. I just don't want to work in that organization. I don't want to be part of that organization. It's not inspiring to me. And so, I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess holistically what I'm saying is, is that as a leader, um, you've got to figure out what you want. And, and sometimes that might look really different if you're, you're starting up an organization um, and you've got five people and you're trying to change the world with five people in a shoestring budget, um, but maybe not. Well, I think you bring up a great point there. It's about the holistic element. And I probably should ask even a better question because you bring up all these little things about building trust and the time you, you take with the, with the people in your organization around these go forward events. And it's the little things that become the big things. And, and so that's a crucial element, I think, that's kind of like what, what's, what's underneath all of this, and it's those little elements. What I love as well is you're talking about the style and design, and I'm wondering for you, when you felt like you designed and you stylistically had a grasp on, on who you were and, and what your leadership style was all about, was that something early or did that come later for you? You know, I've, I was... I have been a leader for some time, like uh, as, as early as I can remember. I think I've been a captain on every team I ever played played for. I'm not an elite athlete like you by any means, um, but I, I remember playing in this in this summer league, and um, my friend asked me to play. He was an exceptional basketball player. I was not, um, and I played at Cal. Started for four years. Nasty player, Ryan Drew, and we came to the huddle, and and you know we come over, and, and I was just like, he's like, yo, and I was like, hey, what? So he's, he pulls me aside. He's like, hey, I'm the star. You're the captain. I was like, got it. You know? And so, so I've had that kind of flow with a lot of, of people. So I kind of walk and talk like a leader, you know, um, for better or for worse for quite some time. In terms of style of leadership, boy, it's still evolving. I, I, don't, I don't think there will ever be a finished product. Or I certainly hope not. Um, I think there's so many things in the world that are changing. Can you imagine 
taking a style that worked in the nineties and trying to apply it now, whole world's different. Like you'd be, you would be talking a different language to different people who don't understand what you're saying and why you're saying it. And, um, and I, I think the, I think the days of, um, command and control, um, are, I, I don't want to say they're over. I'd say like for a lot of businesses, they'd be very difficult to be extraordinary in. Um, because there are too many data points and you need to move and make decisions and your organization has to make decisions at too fast a pace for you to be making them all. And so therefore, you know, um, I guess I think that there's an opportunity for us all to, to take a look and, and think about how, how we're going to empower our, our best people, um, and how comfortable we are on in decision-making and making sure that they understand kind of what that scope is and how they get there and why they get there and when they get there. And if not, we should look at ourselves in the mirror for sure. And then we should look at our teams and say, do we have the right people in the right spots? Um, if not change them, you know, um, I listened to one of your podcasts and, and I thought, I thought you asked a really insightful question about how you move people on. Um, and I do want to touch on that a little bit. Um, I, I think it's like, um, Talk about the evolution of uh, as a leader. Um, I've, I've unfortunately, you know, for you can call it whatever you want, termed, fired, let go, hundreds of people in my life, hundreds. Um, and in many cases, this is not going to win a, an award at the HR of the year banquet. But I do it very differently. I, I, I truly, um, I use the word love in business. And I don't know no one wants to hear that either. But I love the people I work with. It is a family. Like that's how it's set. We spend way too much time with each other. And, um, as I'm fond of saying to my, my team, you don't have to like each other, but you have to love each other. You know, meaning when they fall, you catch them, you know, it's like, you don't have to go to dinner with them, but you better love them. It's like your brother, or your sister. And when you're a teenager, um, and so when, when somebody is, is struggling, I typically t- pull them aside and, and say to them, you know, Hey, you're the same smart, talented, creative person that we hired two years ago. Like you're as wonderful now, better than you were two years ago. Something is not working here. There's not a fit. And so whether that is your manager, me, the style, the way the place works, circumstance, you, it's just not fitting. And so you're not going to have much of a future here that is going to carry you in your career. So let's talk about what the next six months looks like. And let's talk about what place you think is going to inspire you to optimize who you are, to allow you to be the best version of yourself. And let me be on that journey with you to help you get there. Think of like, think of that. Okay. Now a hundred things can go wrong. They don't, but a hundred things can go wrong. The person can go off the grid. They can tell everybody what a terrible person I am. They can cheat the company out of something. They whatever, whatever those, those, hundreds of things are to go wrong. They don't, they don't because they know that I love them and they know that I'm here to help and they know that I'm invested. Now we have a contract, if you will, not not a physical contract, but a contract. And I say like, you have to do your job at the highest level. You have to work as hard as you're working. You have to be an extraordinary teammate for that. You got me. Okay. And let's spend the next six months figuring out where you're going to end up. And so they oftentimes leave and nobody knows that's between me and that person every single time. And I get Christmas cards from them. You know, and so because I'm not putting their family at risk, I'm not putting them at risk. I'm not giving them reputational risk. I'm not, you know, 
you know, putting, I mean, we have a reputation as a, as a really good place to work where talented people work. I, I don't want like a, a scarlet letter on them that says they can't hire them because they didn't hack it or they, cause it has nothing to do with it. It's just the situation and the circumstance. So, um, so I think there are ways to treat people that, that apply to work and home and community and family, just like, just, and I, and I think we've got to surround that, you know, and I think, um, as leaders, especially at a time where we're coming out and we're all isolated and, and, um, distanced and wearing masks and, disconnected it's like now is the time as a leader we got to pull everybody together and we've got to go one or two or three steps further and better than we have or or will uh to make sure that that we are supporting those who are are driving the organization scott that's just an incredible approach there i feel like a very refreshing approach and you can just see how how deeply connected and, and rooted you are with your people, looking out for their best interests. And I, I was going to ask the question around, around collecting people, and I hate that phrase, but it, it seems like you've had such an impact on so many people throughout their lives. And one of these small things it sounds like that you do is around this element. I'm wondering what else you've done for those people ahead of you that have been mentors for you where they say, you know what, I, I really see something in Scott, or I did see something in Scott, and I'm going to go to bat for him. What, what are some of those other elements that, that you've done and, and put on throughout your career? Huh, good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, as you come up the ladder, um, sometimes you become, like, I've jumped some of them in terms of their, their roles, which is really strange. So someone who, who mentors you when you're 25, and then you you walk back ten years later, and you're their you're their senior in terms of like corporate whatever. Um, so that other than those like strange dynamics, um, most of the mentors I've worked with are become friends, you know. Um, and and in many ways, um, I think the joy I guess the joy that I receive from people who I've worked with. Um, along the years that are, they would consider me a mentor and they're out, you know, Chris Granger runs Illich and Tom Glick runs um, Carolina Panthers and Chris Heck runs the Sixers. I know some incredible people I've worked with that are doing incredible things. They're my best, um, the best reward they can give me is a friendship. And I, I think that's how I, I see the relationships going forward. I mean, I have one kind of funny example, uh, Seth Berger, who founded And One. I don't know if you know the sneaker company, And One, but it was an incredible brand. And, um, and he was the founder. I was the president of Hoops TV, a failed startup I had. Um, but he now runs our innovation lab. So it's kind of like a small world. He's definitely a mentor. By the way, dear, one of my best friends in the world and a dear friend back then. But I, I, I looked at him. I learned, I learned so much from him um, and still do to this day. But that's kind of a, a, a fascinating thing because I always worked for him and then he technically works for me. Well, I think everybody works for him. But nonetheless, um, uh, that's kind of a, a funny one. But I, Joe Banner, who, who uh, was the president of the Eagles, a dear friend to Stockton last week. Lynn Kamarowski, who's the CEO of um, Cleveland Cavaliers for the last 20 some odd years. I worked for him and he's a dear friend these days. Adam Silver is now the commissioner of the NBA. Um, so I had these like, I mean, I, it's either just dumb luck or incredible insight or some combination, but I've worked for, for so many incredible leaders and who now I I'm privileged enough to call a friend. Scott, you mentioned N1. Uh, I don't know if you know my age here, but come on N1 mixtape tour. I mean, that was, <laughs> I was glued to the TV <laughs> well, every day here. <laughs> I, I played 
play against those guys. I, I, I had the ball bounced off my head. I had it dribbled between my legs. It was infuriating. But at the N one gym, because our offs moves to use next door. And so so we would play with them in their off season before their tours. And boy, oh boy, quite a run. Yeah. yeah a, a lot, lot of, of fun. A lot of good memories in the backyard trying to impersonate and, and, and <laughs> replicate what we saw there. One, one of the things I love is, is we're talking about some of these extraordinary people, just some of the people you've listed thus far. For you being able to, to look into them, are, are there certain commonalities that are just foundational amongst the majority of these people that, that you consider high performers or just have deep, lasting impact with the people that work with them? Yeah, they've all, um, they all have, I'm trying to think of commonality. I think values, values, values. They all know who they are. They know what they stand for and they're, they, they're all effective at letting people know. So that, that's the one clear, like, you know, they're values driven people. They're all really, really smart. Um, and, and I don't mean IQ smart or book smart. Um, I mean that they truly uh, have the ability to take in information, um, be lifelong learners, connect the dots and be able to put them to action. And I think the third team, third thing would be is just people. You know, I have not met an incredible leader who didn't love people. Um, and, and, and it all comes in different shapes and sizes. And, and the styles are all different. It doesn't mean some of these guys are very tough. You know, directly. David Stern was one of the toughest cats I've ever been around. He said some things that were not great. But, but I will tell you, but I, I, I know that when I had a tough personal thing go on in my life, there, there was one person, he was the first person to reach out. Anything you need any time. I mean, he, so they, I don't know, they had this sense of all these incredible people in my life. I feel like today I could call any one of them and say, hey, I'm struggling. I need X and I will get it. And I, I hope they would say the same thing about me. And so I think, I think those are the three things. You bring up values there first, and you know how much I admire you for, for the foundational values that you live off of. And I remember the first time I read a great piece by you, which was about being able to get out of the office every day at 530 to coach your daughter's basketball team. And I'm thinking, here you are, one of the most elite, high-performing executives, CEOs on the planet with responsibilities. And you're able to get out of the office every day. And this is even when I was young with starting my family. And I said, wait, if Scott can do this, then like, why aren't more people doing this? And that, that really was one of those like aha wake up moments for you. I'm wondering for you, what, what was that aha moment where it's, you know what? I've got extreme clarity on how I'm going to live my life moving forward here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I married a very, very strong woman and very fortunate you know, I married way over my head and we were so young. I mean, holy moly. Um, but we married 25 years now. And so I have a great, and she was grew up in the sports business. So she's a great, a great grounding force, which is wonderful. Um, and, and be blessed with three daughters is a, is a gift that keeps on giving. Um, I'm not sure if there's a, a, a moment, um, you know, we both come from really strong families. So we, we, we kind of get the family thing. The one real insight for me growing up in, in the business, because I'm working a hundred, 150 nights a year, you've got to, you got to figure it out. Like you have to figure out like where you're going to, what you're going to trade off because your life is going to get swallowed up and you have to figure out what's, um, we say WMI, what's most important. Like you have to figure out what your WMI is. 
You have to figure out what you're going to prioritize and you have to figure out what you're going to give up. Like, what are you willing not to do? Because you can't do it all. It's like, I don't care what anybody says. Like, you can't be great at everything you do. It just doesn't work. And so I know for me, it's like work is, is pa- I am passionate about work. You know, I am really passionate about my family and I am passionate about my faith. And like, and so what drops off, you know, well, my friends drop off a bit, you know? And so if, if I'm going to see my friends, I haven't come to a game. Like, that's not great. Like I've missed a lot of weddings, you know, I've missed, uh, you know, I've missed a lot of birthdays. I've missed a lot of parties and like, I can't do it all. And that's, that's a part of my life. I just took out. And, and so, you know, there's some other, you know, again, it's like life is about, if you just think about life as being about trade-offs you, and, and once you understand what's really critically important to you, then the decisions become um, simple. The decisions never become easy because you don't want to tell your, your friend, you're not going to go to his wedding. It's your friend you grew up together. It's like, sorry, man, I can't make it. Um, and that stuff's tough. I will say like, um, coaching and sports and, you know, again, you, you know, this giving your elite background, um, and the clinics and camps you put on and, you know, like there's something really special about sports, uh, in particular with girls and, and boys have had a competitive advantage for 50 years. And here's the advantage. We all play sports growing up and whether you were good or bad, you learned some really, really valuable lessons. You learned how to win and lose, hopefully graciously. I didn't lose so graciously when I was young, but I got better at it. Still not great. Um, learn how to lead and follow. You learn how to sweat and give, give for somebody else. And you learn how to compete. All that stuff, you can translate to business. Every single one of those things. Now, girls, and girls sports now are exploding um, or have exploded. Um, and, and I thought that my opportunity with my daughters, um, you figure it out. Like you have, you have kids, you know, like you don't have much time with them. Like our morning in our house still, I've got teenagers now. It's chaos in the morning. Like you don't have any quality time in the morning. Like there was my wife and I, we're trying to survive in advance. It's like the NCAA tournament for us every morning. We're like, okay, we did it. Like nobody killed anybody. Like, let's go, you know? So survive in advance in the morning. And then they've got school. Let's talk non-pandemic school. Then they got sports. Uh, then they got homework. So how much time are you getting? Like real time during the week? I don't know, an hour? Family dinner, you hope, pandemic. At least we have family dinner and we got these little connects. But like without, without the pandemic, I hope for a family dinner. If not, I'm hoping for 15 freaking minutes a day. So I better figure out how I optimize those 15 minutes. Now, weekends, you got to carve them out. My kids are teenagers. They got boyfriends. They're driving all over the place. They got their friends. So I'm like, get them here. That's my thing. I want them here. Um, I play hoop with them, girls and boys, on Saturday morning. You know why? I mean, I love to play hoop, and I'll play anytime. But it's my connect time with my daughter. Sometimes she's the only girl that shows up, and she can't. I mean, it's like real, it's like young men, big boys playing. But um, I don't know. I, I love it in terms of coaching. I never coached good teams, only rec teams. And so, like, what I loved about it was I would say, "Hey, get your friends." She doesn't play basketball. I'm like, I don't care. Get on the team. And so even when there was a draft in some of these crazy leagues with the crazy coaches, I would just take her friends because like I wanted to know their friends and this was a way for me to know them. And I like our first practice and I, this was, this went from age five. Uh, I stopped in eighth grade when they were in eighth. I got my last year as my one, my old, my youngest. Um, and then they're up to high school to do the thing. But like we sit down the first time we're talking about favorite ice cream, favorite movies, favorite friend, favorite place to eat, favorite place to vacation. That's the first practice. 
just getting to know each other. And so, and it's like in our teams, I mean, I think I won one championship in like 50 seasons. Okay. So this is not like, I am not John Wooden. Um, but I will tell you that my girls all played the next year every time. And that's what, that was my measure. It's like, I want them to fall in love with the sport. I want them to fall in love with each other. I want them to learn how to compete like hard, like actually want to win more than anything else at that moment. Because I think those little, little lessons you have, um, are those are the ones you're going to carry with you. And those are the ones that, and those notes I get from their, get from their parents are the, I mean, I cherish those as much as any business deal I've ever done. The, those success metrics in coaching, you bring up such a value, valuable and often overlooked one. How many kids play the next year? We, we've all we've all had those coaches that the last thing you want to do is go out that next season. So, so I love the, the big approach there. I, I'm wondering for you, because you have so much clarity around this. I'm wondering when the thoughts just started to, to bubble up for you to, to write the book, to really put down a lot of this thinking, a lot of the lessons you've learned throughout the years into book form. I've, you know, I've read about you um, talking about a life-changing moment um, with your father-in-law passing away. And, and um, mine's a similar story. Like I, um, my best friend um, took his own life and best friend for 20 years. His name is Will Carden. Five amazing kids, incredible wife, successful guy, um, suffering from depression and he shot himself. And um, it's, it really, like I'd never experienced grief before. Um, and my, 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 my dad had passed away about a year earlier and he was suffering from dementia and Parkinson's and a bunch of other stuff. So, and he was in agony. So I was praying that he would pass away and he didn't, I was sad and I felt mortality, but it wasn't different. It, was, it wasn't grief. When Will passed away, I, I, I would like be in a meeting and start crying and just walk out or I would like not be, be able to get out of bed. Like it was like, I couldn't even function at a high level. And, and I began to write, um, as my healing. And I began to talk to people I, I knew in my network to talk about um, times they struggled and, and what they did to overcome it and the lessons they learned. And what I found was, and so this book that I wrote, Beware Your Feet Art, is not a victory lap. You know, like, there's no victory lap in here. Like, this is about, hey, I got kicked in the face and here's what I learned. And here's what another guy got kicked in the face and this is what he learned. This is what she learned when she got kicked in the face. And I, I, I you know, as FDR said, um, rough seas make the best sailors. It's like, I, I so I, I had this, this event happen in my life and I started writing and then Randall Wright, a good, a good friend of mine who can co-author the book said to me like, Scott, you need to publish this. And I was like, I don't know. It's, it's personal. Like there's personal stuff in here. Like it's about my life, you know, um, it's about my friends and, and where they had their darkest moments. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hardcore, hardcore um, topic for me. And he said, um, well, what are you interested in? I said, I'm interested in helping people. I'm interested in to help change lives. I'm interested. In, I want to move the world. I want to like, I want to leave it better than I found it and make my dent. Like, where am I making my dent in the world? It's like, then do this. And so I, so I did it, you know, and um, St. Martin's published it, Tim Bartlett. And I don't know, I had this, it was an incredible editor and I had this, everything just came together. It felt like, you know, the world like opened up before me and, um, and, and it was nice. And I, 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 um, you'd be hard pressed if you knew me well to call me a writer. You know, I, I, um, <laughs> but I, I did get a writer, someone to help me, Michelle Bender, who's wonderful, who took my, like, you know, I was like, you know, like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Forrest Gump, but like, like Forrest was running, I was writing. So I just wrote, 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 wrote. And, um, she made it a book. Um, so I, I'm, I'm like, it's strange. Like I'm, I'm proud of it. Like I'm, um, it sounds like a strange thing to say, but 
Uh, I'm proud of doing it and accomplishing it. And and now I want to I want to I want it to get wide. I want people to see it and read it because I think it can help. And um, I've given talks. I know you do too. Like I, I you know I've I've been up on stage in front of uh, you know hundreds of audiences, and some have been not great, and some have been really good. But I, I always think about like, can I move one person today? You know, that's all I want. Like I get, give me up a stage, give me a microphone, give me a little, you know, get some slides up there. And can I get to a one and you move one person today? And, and I think it's a good day. Scott. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement that, that you should be incredibly proud. Uh, I feel like a lot of times we read these books that a lot of them have foundational principles, but we don't hear the depth and authenticity that you went to where I'm reading this and I'm like being moved viscerally at an emotional level with, with some of the stories and the depth you go to of what it's really like during this journey that, that, that we're all on. And so I just, I, I appreciated the hell out of it. I loved it. Uh, I learned so much from it. So it, it was really cool for me to, to, to get to read that and, and hear more about this. Uh, so I know we're going to close up here in a minute. I, I know you've mentioned a couple books and of course we're going to have your book, Be Where Your Feet Are, linked up what are some of the other things that have left the most lasting impression on you? Because uh, this book for me really hit me hard. So I just want to know for you, what have been some of the ones for you? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Leadership and self-deception by the Arbinger group is one of my all time favorites. Um, the magic of believing by Claude Bristol is a book. John Spolster made me read when I was 22. I had a real impact in my life. Um, anything by Chester Elton and Adrian Gossick on appreciation. And you heard me, you probably heard me say gratitude and appreciation. I don't even, I don't even remember saying it. I'm sure I said it a dozen times on this, on this podcast because, um, and, and there he's the apostle of appreciation and his, his work is brilliant. Um, Patrick Lencioni, five dysfunctional dysfunctions of a team. Everybody should read it should be required reading. Um, but yeah, I have a ton of books on my, I'm at my uh, disposal and read quite a bit. And I, I just encourage everybody just, pick up a book and read it. And by the way, please, this is my only, only request is like, whether you buy my book or someone else's book, um, consider doing it at one of the indie bookstores. Um, small business is getting slaughtered right now. And, um, and I, I love Amazon. I, I love the company. I think they're doing incredible work and, and, and they're doing great. Uh, but in terms of, of helping those um, in our neighborhood, whether, you know, it's, it's an, you know, an auto going to audible, you know, um, seeing it, buying an audible is great or Kindle. Fantastic. If you can walk into an indie bookstore and buy, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. So lifelong learning, people, authenticity, so many amazing themes. Final question here. If you could sit down with anyone, do something like this, long form interview with anyone dead or alive, just not a family member or friend, who would you love to sit down and interview? Martin Luther King Jr. I, I have studied him. I have watched movies about him. I have read books about him. I've seen all his speeches and I would love an hour with him. Fantastic answer. Well, Scott O'Neill, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on what got you there. You are amazing. I wish you continued success and keep doing what you're doing. Um, this makes a difference. It makes an impact and I will keep being one of your biggest consumers. Thanks, Sean. You guys made it to the end of another episode of what got you there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.